Hello friends, this is the Daily Edify with Jeff Lane, a place to get spiritually grounded and into alignment with the flow of love each weekday morning. In each episode, we'll focus on a spiritual practice, a poem, a book, a sacred text, something that can empower us to be more fully alive to the gift that is the day before us. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is about the book of Esther, the fifth and final installment in our Forgotten Books of the Bible series. So far, we've looked at Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, last week Ecclesiastes, and now today we dip into the story of Esther. It's the second book of the Bible that's named after a woman, Ruth is the other one, and one of only a few books that never explicitly mentions God. The book of Esther is about the main character, Esther's, remarkable courage in the face of the potential genocide of her people, the Jewish people. The most famous line of the book comes in chapter 4 when Mordecai, who's Esther's cousin but becomes her guardian when both her parents die, Mordecai tells her after she's become queen that perhaps it's for such a time as this that she has become queen and and joined the royal family so that she can undermine this this awful plot uh, by Haman uh, to to kill all of the Jewish people. The book of Esther is read every year at the Jewish festival of Purim, which just happened earlier this week, actually, March 6th and 7th. It celebrates the saving of the Jewish people from from Haman's awful plot. But the book of Esther itself is is really a call to resistance against uh, anti-Semitism and and the celebration of uh, their resilience of the Jewish people against all who would do them harm. That that core message of the book continues to resonate today as um, anti-Semitism continues to happen. Uh, even today, even in the context of North America, even in the, I'm in Chicagoland, um, it's it's mind-boggling and uh, deeply concerning uh, for our Jewish friends. But of course, the significance of the book ripples out um, beyond this central message of of um, opposing anti-Semitism, it, because it calls us to resist any ideology, any any movement, any law uh, that would harm, um, whether it's misogyny or racial oppression or religious bigotry or homophobia or ethnic nationalism. Um, Esther is this remarkable book that tells the story of one particular person. There's really four or five characters, but it's especially about Esther, uh, her incredible courage, her willingness to risk her life uh, because she was in the right place at the right time to make a difference. So let me just try to summarize the book briefly. It's it's a little longer than some of the other books we've delved into in this series. Uh, it's eight chapters in length. I encourage you to give it a read. Again, BibleGateway.org is the place I often read things online, but if you have a Bible at home, uh, it's it's worth a quick read. It takes about half an hour in one sitting. Um, but Esther takes place in the, the Persian, uh, during the time of uh, the Persian Empire, um, so 4th, 5th, centuries BCE. Um, It probably is referring to King Xerxes. Uh, The name of the king in the book is King Ahasuerus. Um, But anyway, the the book opens with this scene of of King Ahasuerus 
having this six-month-long um, gaudy uh, uh, party, basically, for all his officials in this massive Persian empire of the time. Um, and he has this six-month-long party, and that apparently isn't enough. He has another, uh, I think, week-long party for, for folks in the capital of Susa, where, where he resided. Um, and in that uh, scene, there's, there's seven days of uh, separate banquets, one for the men, which King Ahasuerus is holding court over, and the other for the women, which Queen Vashti is uh, overseeing. Uh, after the week-long uh, soiree, uh, Queen Vashti is summoned um, by King Ahasuerus to, to come in and, and let me sort of show you off uh, as another object uh, that I own. Um, that's the kind of language he's using. And of course, these are a bunch of drunk men. Who knows what would have happened? Um, so Vashti defies King Ahasuerus's uh, summons uh, and says, no, I, I'm not going to come and be an object on display in front of all these people, these local officials. Um, and interestingly, King Ahasuerus, I mean, obviously he's He's enraged, uh, but he pulls together all his advisors after Vashti's defiance. And the main concern isn't that, oh, she's, you know, broken the law. They're supposed to do what we ask. Um, but they're cons they have anxiety because what if word gets out to the rest of the empire and other women start defying the commandments of, of their husbands or of men? Um, and so they decide to put a stop to this by encoding very specifically in the laws of the kingdom that basically... You have to do whatever your husband says. Uh, and so it's this sort of enforced um, patriarchy. It was kind of under the surface, and then it becomes codified in, in law. Well, that's a long way of starting the story. You, you have this amazing, resilient, um, defiant woman in Vashti who said, no, I'm not going to play this game anymore. Well, that story would have been known to Esther, who, as the book progresses, um, the King Ahasuerus, it takes him a few years to calm down, um, but then he wants to find a new queen. And so he sends out his uh, folks throughout the empire and says, bring in all these women I can meet and decide among them who would be my next queen. Uh, and long story short, Esther uh, is one of those women. She becomes the next queen. Although she is Jewish, she hides that identity from the king um, at the request of her uh, cousin Mordecai. So we learn that Esther's had a tragedy. Both her parents have died. Um, her cousin Mordecai becomes her guardian. He works for the king. Uh, he's one of the guards at the, the city gates in Susa. Um, but but he encourages uh, Esther, you know, to, to do her best, and sure enough, she becomes queen, um, and the story then progresses. So 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 Esther becomes queen. Um, Mordecai is working at the gates, uh, but then the the sort of evil person enters the story in Haman. Uh, he becomes second in command in King Ahasuerus's court, um, and he's really put off by this Mordecai fella because as Haman goes around Susa, uh, he he gets everybody to bow down to him, and for some reason Mordecai uh, does not bow down to Haman, and this really irks Haman. Uh, so through a series of maneuvers, he discovers um, that Mordecai is Jewish. Uh, he's so mad that he wants to not only kill Mordecai, but he decides we got to get rid of the entire Jewish people, uh, squash this dissent uh, with just a mighty force of, of violence. 
And so it's interesting. King Ahasuerus is really portrayed as fairly passive, really, throughout the book. Haman um, is able to convince King Ahasuerus, oh, there's this person who's disrespecting me. Can I just, you know, get rid of not only him, but his entire people? And King Ahasuerus doesn't even ask, oh, which people is it? He just sort of says, sure, yeah, do, do whatever you wish. And so Haman gets with some of his cronies and uh, gets this inscribed in law that the Jewish people are going to be exterminated like, you know, 10 months from now. They give a little space in between. Well, this obviously leads to great consternation uh, among all the Jewish people, Mordecai and, and others. And um, Mordecai decides, I need, to, I need to approach Esther and ask her. And this is what happens in chapter 4 when he says, for such a time as this. Uh, you have been brought into the royal household. You you can appeal to the king and ask him to to scuttle this this awful law that's basically asking for the genocide of our people. However, again with the patriarchy, um, even though she was queen, Esther could not just go to King Ahasuerus unless she was summoned by him. So she couldn't just come into his court. Uh, if, if he wanted, he could kill her uh, just by coming uninvited. He had to raise his scepter to sort of say, yes, you can come, you're forgiven. Uh, but it was literally uh, a risk of her life uh, to, to do this. So she, she asks Mordecai, tell all the people to, to pray for me, to fast for three days. Um, so I have the strength to, to do this. And sure enough, three days later, she goes to the king um, but very deftly, she doesn't just come right out and tell the king, oh, Haman did this, this is awful, you got to get rid of him, you got to stop this law. Uh, she, she's very shrewd and saying, oh, come, come to this banquet and, and let's, let's do this and let's do that. And through a series of maneuvers, Esther shows herself to be um, very thoughtful, very shrewd. And eventually she, she unravels the whole plot. Uh, Haman, meanwhile, is, is thinking he's just, you know, on, on cloud nine because he's getting to have this banquet that Esther's hosting with just him and the king. And he's thinking, oh, this is wonderful. The king wants to honor me. The queen wants to honor me. Um, but all along, Esther is slowly unveiling uh, the truth that, um, that Haman has, has enacted this law that, that's going to kill her people. She's... Esther still hasn't told King Ahasuerus that she's that she's Jewish, and so finally, in the penultimate scene, I think it's in chapter seven, um, Esther reveals uh, that Haman is the one who came up with this law, and that it would exterminate not only her but her entire people. And by being patient, uh, Esther ensures that not only would the law change, but that Haman would would be killed as well, would be removed from the equation. And and in fact, the very the very pole that uh, Haman had giddily constructed uh, to kill Mordecai on becomes the pole that uh, that Haman uh, is is killed on. So. Uh, I know that took a little longer than I intended. Uh, that's that's a quick and dirty summary of the book of Esther, um, but it has, I think, so much wisdom to teach us, uh, not only about um, doing what we can with the resources we have, the connections we have, the voice we have, the privilege we have uh, to make the world more reflective of God's dream, but also this message of courage in the midst of you know, an awful edict uh, from the king to just exterminate this whole group of people, uh, this whole nation. Um, 
we look at a situation like that, we're like, oh my goodness, what can we do? What, what's one person, what's one voice uh, going to do in this situation? And uh, what Esther and Mordecai in their own way beautifully show is that each of us has a different role to play, but we each have a role to play. And so when you look at uh, the things in the world that break your heart, that break God's heart, uh, and you wonder, feel helpless perhaps to make any difference, um, remember this opportunity uh, when, when Mordecai tells Esther, for such a time as this, think about where you've been placed in life and how you might be a source of God's healing, of God's justice, of God's peace uh, in the midst of things that are not the way they're supposed to be. If today's podcast has blessed you, provided a tinge of clarity or some nourishment for your spiritual journey, please share it with a friend so that we can create a more inclusive community. Or do you have any feedback for me, any show ideas, something that was particularly helpful or something that could have been better? Please send me an email at thedailyedified at gmail.com. That's in the show notes as well. I'd love to hear from you. Also, please consider rating and reviewing The Daily Edify wherever you get your podcasts. Friends, you are loved and never alone.